you wanted the best, you've got the best podcast. The hottest, hottest. podcast in the world. In the world. The Chris Voss Show, the preeminent podcast with guests so smart you may experience serious brain bleed. Get ready, get ready. Strap yourself in. Keep your hands, arms, and legs inside the vehicle at all times because you're about to go on a monster education roller coaster with your brain. Now, here's your host, Chris Voss. Hi, folks. Chris Voss here from the thechrisvossshow.com, thechrisvossshow.com. Hey, we're coming here with another great podcast. We certainly appreciate you tuning in. Thanks for being with us here today. Today, we have an amazing author. We do this every day. We just have these amazing authors that come on the show, and we we just put them in the Google machine, and we type in amazing authors, and they just appear like magic on the show. So the beautiful part is you should tell your friends, neighbors, relatives to subscribe to the Chris Voss Show podcast. Podcast, so they can experience the magic <laughs> of the wonderful uh, authors and book uh, writers that we have on the show. I don't know why authors and book writers I just separated into two different forms, but uh, hey, duplicate nouns, way to go. Anyway, guys, back to what we're up to. Go to goodreads.com forward says Chris Voss at the bell notification button. Go to all the groups you have Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. I can't even count all the groups that we have for the Chris Voss show, but go follow them. Because uh, there's interesting stuff that happens over there. That's what they tell me. Anyway, guys, today we have an amazing author on the show as well. The soul of genius, Matt Marie Curie, Albert Einstein, and the meeting that changed the course of science by Jeffrey Orens. He's with us today. He's going to be talking about his amazing book. And uh, he is a former chemical engineer and business executive with Solvay Chemical who has written for several history publications and has an exceptional eye for overlooked gems in history. He lives in Fairfield, New Jersey, and here he is on the show with us. Welcome to the show, Jeffrey. How are you? I'm great. It's great to be here, uh, Chris. Thanks for having me. Thank you very much. And did I get the name of your chemical company correct? Salve Chemical, that's right. Salve Chemical. I just took a wing swing at that and just uh, tried to nail that one out of the park. So welcome to the show. Give us your plugs where people can go find you on the interwebs and find out where to order this amazing book. Sure. Really, LinkedIn is a great place to go. I'm also connected through Amazon, author's page, Pegasus Books, author's page, that type of thing. But really, I'm connecting with everyone through your show yeah. and telling them to go out and uh, buy the book. I'm on Amazon. The book's in print. It's an ebook. It's an audio book as well. And they've done a great job on that. And it came out a couple of weeks ago. So it's uh, fresh out uh, off the presses and uh, ready to be purchased. So uh, get out there and do it. It's got that beautiful fresh book smell. So Jeffrey, what motivated you want to write this book? Yeah, I was in the chemical industry for uh, 40 years. And in the chemical industry, my last stop was with a company called SciTech Industries that was purchased by Salve Chemical of all companies. Mm -hmm. And when you go into some of the Salve offices in New Jersey or around the world, one of the first things is a picture that's a mural-sized picture of what looks like an all-star assembly of scientists, chemists, and, and physicists. It's usually on one wall in the, in the reception room. You take a look at it and it blows your mind. Albert Einstein, Marie Curie, Max Planck, Niels Bohr is over there on the side, Heisenberg, a whole range of physicists and chemists. And it makes you wonder, what's this all-star group 
doing up here on the wall. And I wanted to take a look and understand it a little bit more. And the more I delved into it, the more I found out, number one, this picture is usually referred to as the most intelligent picture ever taken because 17 out of the 29 people in that picture either had one or would go on to win Nobel prizes in chemistry and physics. Oh, wow. So this is uh, this is pretty uh, rarefied air we're talking about here in the scientific world. This was a picture of the fifth Salve conference on physics and that took place in 1927. And I wanted to the fifth Salve conference, it's interesting. How about the first Salve conference? What was that all about? I did a little research and it led me to uncover a, a tremendous story related to Salve, a fellow named Ernest Salve, who founded Salve Chemical, why he sponsored these conferences, what the first conference was all about, the personalities, the events surrounding the conference, and really to understand more about the Salve Conference as a turning point in physics. The Salve mm -hmm. Conference basically, first one was in 1911. And the reason Salve brought people together and he only brought 24 of them together. It was a pretty select group of geniuses. He brought them together to try to balance out what is happening in the world of physics, the classical world of physics, uh, Newtonian physics, gravity, uh, light, and energy, was being challenged by this upstart theory that was being uh, espoused by a couple of different individuals, including Einstein. And that theory was quantum theory. And so at this conference, basically, quantum theory was colliding with the classical Newtonian physics of the day. Oh, wow. This is pretty interesting. I should have photobombed that that photo so that I could have, you know, gotten on the Nobel Prize sort of list, maybe. I don't know. I don't think. Um, that would I'm not sure if that would have done it, but. No, no. Nah. Nah. Well, there you go. On the cover of the book, there's a picture of both the individuals. And, uh, and I guess inside you have this famous photo inside the book. Absolutely. I have a photo uh, of both the 1911 conference, the first Salve conference, and a photo of the 1927 fifth Salve conference on physics. And it's interesting to see that Salve himself was there at the first conference, didn't make it to the fifth. He had passed away. Even in 1911, he was 72 years old. So this wasn't at the beginning of his interest in physics and chemistry it was near the end. But what he found was that it was important to bring together the brightest, most intelligent people in Europe in science and physics and chemistry to solve the most pressing issues that the scientific community was facing. And there was none more pressing than what was going on with the subatomic world versus the world of the stars and the heavens. Newtonian physics Way back in the mid-1600s, Isaac Newton came up with a, a number of different things that stood science on its head, but the biggest and, and most important was the theory of gravity. Beyond the theory of gravity, he was able to take a planetary motion. He was able to take a look at the laws of motion. He understood what was going on with light and why it was uh, made up of uh, different colors. He understood uh, a number of different things about how to describe all this in terms of mathematics. In fact, Isaac Newton created calculus. Now, that's not something that is done lightly. This was uh, put together by Newton to try to explain the motions of the bodies in the heavens. Mm -hmm. and, and as he put this together, 
basically what he was looking at was trying to understand how are all these bodies, these large masses connected, and could you mathematically explain them all? And so he put together this shorthand for science, if you will, called calculus, which basically was used to help explain the motions of all of these bodies. Things went along fine related to gravity, related to the laws of motion, and people accepted them in the 16, 17, 1800s. All of a sudden, in the late 1800s, people started to look inward rather than outward. Looking inward, looking at subatomic uh, phenomenon rather than looking outward at the stars and the heavens. And what really moved that along quite a bit was the astounding discovery of Wilhelm Rankin of x-rays in 1895. And the discovery of x-rays really opened up a lot of exploration by scientists into subatomic particles. The electron was discovered at that time. People were talking about the nucleus and people were trying to understand a little bit more about these minute particles that you couldn't see with the naked eye, whereas you could in previous physics history, take a look at the planets and, and the sun and understand their relationships. Well, Marie Curie came along in the late 1890s. She and her husband, Pierre, were exploring a sort of side phenomenon that had uh, come up with the exploration of x-rays. The uh, respected French physicist named Henri Becquerel had uncovered emissions of uranium that were like x-rays. They weren't as strong. He delved into them for a while, and then he put them aside and went to other things. Marie Curie, in trying to get her a doctoral physics work done so she could give a doctoral dissertation, she, she said, along with Pierre, hey, this would be a great place to pick up some research that had been started but hadn't really been followed through, these uh, mysterious emanations of uranium. And over the course of the next six months, she herself explored a number of different materials to try to find if there were other emanations coming from other minerals as well as elements. She came across actually a mineral called pitch blend that contained uranium, but she found out something very interesting. When she removed the uranium from the pitch blend, she actually saw that there were emissions that were even stronger than uranium coming from the pitch blend residues. And yeah. so the hunt was on in her mind. Hey, what is causing this? In mm. short order, she was able to discover that there were two elements in these pitch blend residues. One, she named polonium after her own uh, oh, wow. country, Poland, and the other, radium, the wow. Latin for rays. And so these two elements she discovered, along with her husband, they were given the Nobel Prize in 1904. Now, now is this the, this is the material we used for nuclear bombs and, and the Manhattan Project and everything? We use the, the theory of radioactivity, mm. okay? And uranium is normally the element that's used, but radium is really a, a transmutation of uranium. And what she uncovered was that these things were happening and that there was this tremendous emission coming from these heavy elements, uranium, radium, polonium. And where radium was actually first used was in medical applications, focused uh, beams of these transmissions to attack cancers. Mm. Certain cancers could be attacked and leave the rest of the, the healthy skin and uh, organs intact. 
And so uranium was actually first used along those lines, long before thoughts of radioactivity and, and relationships, energy and nuclear type of situations. Oh, wow. Wow, this is pretty amazing. And there was a bit of scandal, too, wasn't there? The, 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 reading something about the French press and sense. There, there was. There, there was more than a bit of scandal. In fact, Marie Curie had a tough life. She was a, she was a Polish woman who couldn't get an education in her native country of Poland. She came to, to France in order to get an education. She got that education in the premier institute in Paris and, and in France and one of the premier institutes in Europe. She got a uh, physics degree. She got a mathematical master's. She was a brilliant individual. Meeting Pierre Curie sort of was the culmination of two great minds uh, coming together. And they got married, had two daughters, and things were moving down a path that culminated in this Nobel Prize that they were both to win in physics. And then a couple of years later, unfortunately, Pierre Curie uh, was run over by a horse cart of all things, in the streets of Paris, and he was laugh. killed. You know, just amazing. So, I should laugh uh, too soon, too soon. Yeah, right? uh, uh, yeah. just a, a terrible accident. But the real culmination of that whole situation was that she was left by herself, and she was distraught, and she, she really didn't know if she could carry on. And after a couple of years, she started to see an individual who was a protege of Pierre Curie's named Paul Langvin. And uh, surreptitiously, covertly, an affair started. Mm. And uh, that affair started in the 1909-1910 time frame. And when she went to this first conference, the Salve Conference in 1911, there were rumors swirling around about uh, an affair. What's going on here with Paul Langvin and, and Marie Curie? Now, Paul Langvin was a married man, but he was unhappily married. And uh, not only unhappily married, if you talk to him for any length of time, he'd tell you how unhappy he was and how much he wanted a divorce. Sounds you like all my so, friends. <laughs> not uncommon. But the situation was one in, in Paris that was starting to become known. And um, it was interesting at this, this conference, 1911, within the space of a few days, she was... Uh, told that she was going to receive a second Nobel Prize in chemistry to bookend her prize in physics because she had discovered these two elements, radium and, and polonium. Two days later, she receives a telegram telling her that the French press is going to expose her affair mm. with uh, Paul Langvin because uh, Paul Langvin's wife had found some love letters that she was going to uh, publish in different journals in the Parisian press. And so... She went from, it was a roller coaster. She went from a high to as about as low as you can go. And she had to really run back to Paris along with Paul to try to defend themselves mm -hmm. versus what the French press was doing. And they were basically saying, look, here's a, a woman who's a foreigner. She's Polish. She's a homewrecker. She's going after a married man. And it didn't really matter that years before they had embraced her as one of their own saying, uh, hey, she won a Nobel Prize, and how great it was that she was part of French scientific culture. And things had turned sour very quickly with this situation being mm -hmm. exposed. Wow, that's crazy, man. So there, she was getting a vicious, misogynistic and xenophobic attacks by the French press, which seems weird because those seem like the wrong sort of people to be uh, knocking uh, that sort well, of thing. this was it was a two-faced situation to say the least because in in France there was a culture that was basically 
You can have a mistress if, if, yeah. you're, a, if you're a man, as long as you don't parade her around, as long as you don't show her off and, and rub the French people's face in, in that type of situation. Here was a situation where Marie Curie was going after a married man where she wasn't given the right to have, a, have an affair, but certainly Paul Langvin was. The misogynistic nature of this was very, very strongly stressed in the press. And not only that, as you say, the xenophobic nature of she's not even one of us. She's not even from France. She's from Poland, of wow. all places. So they were crucifying her. Wow. At that time, it just so happens that she had gotten to know Albert Einstein at the 1911 Solvay Conference. And after she came back to Paris to defend herself, she received a, a letter of support from Albert Einstein. He came in, he stepped in right at the important time when she was starting to feel pretty put upon. And what he said was, hey, Marie, you're better than this. You are, you're a principled woman. You're someone who is extremely intelligent. Don't listen to all this. He termed it hogwash. Don't listen to the hogwash that the press is uh, pushing forward here. Leave it to the reptile to whom it was designed to uh, entice and go on and live your life the way you feel you need to live your life. It's pretty important in that here's Einstein, who had only gotten to know her a couple weeks before at this mm -hmm. Salve conference, and here he's giving support that's probably stronger than some of uh, her French, French compatriots who were doing uh, trying to support her through this situation. It, it was an interesting time, to say the least. This is this uh, this is a pretty smart move for Einstein. He's always was a ladies' man, I think, wasn't he? And so he, he was. Uh, you know, he was supporting the ladies is good. Well, yeah. you know, it it wasn't that particular uh, approach that he was taking, although yeah. you could see it that way. Well, you he was know, just he, a hot guy. That's all I'm trying to say. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Einstein is a hot guy. You can't go much further. We than just that, do the right? jokes here. And... <laughs> but Einstein was a very supportive individual. Okay, he was basically a person who was, if you're intelligent, you're the type of person I want to, to support, I want to be with, yeah. I want to talk to, I want to, and, and it didn't matter. Man, woman, what he was really all about was intelligence. Now, in and of his own right, he had some problems with his wife. In fact, his first wife, um, he ended up, when he met her, they were students at the Polytechnic uh, Institute in uh, Zurich, the turn of the 19th century and the 20th century, and they were madly in love. Einstein madly in love. I don't know if I can picture it, but okay. That's uh, the situation that you find yourself in here at the turn of the 19th century and the 20th, and they unfortunately have an illegitimate daughter. Oh. The daughter was basically lost in history. She was either she oh, either wow. died very young of scarlet fever, or she was put up for adoption covertly. They never talked about her. Seriously, so, this sounds like a book. It, you could make a book out of this. I'm telling yeah, you. I'll leave and, it to you. Uh, absolutely. And so, as you follow the book along, what you find is she had been a scientist in her own right, attending this Polytechnic Institute. She didn't graduate, whereas Einstein did. He got a job, but it wasn't as a, a scientist or as a teacher. It was in the patent office of all places. He was distraught. He was a patent examiner, third class. And it was a situation where, as you take a look at that, he wanted to continue his own exploration of scientific thought 
physics thought. And he had been doing that with his wife. But once he got married, he dropped her from his scientific uh, inner circle, if you will. And he palled around with a couple of guys to bounce his theories of physics off of. And his wife, who really wanted to be part of science, like maybe a Swiss version of Marie and Pierre Curie. It could have been Einstein and his wife, Maleva. But it wasn't to be because he was a rather misogynistic individual as well. That's the Albert? way it turned out. Albert was. Yeah. Jeez, Albert. Come on. I mean, Get you with expect times, a little more buddy. of them there. It's 1911. Right? Come on, buddy. <laughs> Get with the time. Well, he, he turned a situation which could have been a very interesting one with his wife into one that was shutting her off. And she always resented that from that time on. They mm. had a couple of boys. They, they really uh, enjoyed them. And that's what kept them together for a while. But by 1919, they had gotten divorced and she was always bitter. And in fact, Einstein had a, a tremendous year in 1905. It was called his Honest Mirabilis, where he basically had a marvelous year, as they say in Latin. And this marvelous year was was Mar four papers. Yeah. Sorry, I had to do that. <laughs> Simply marvelous. That's it was right. like an right? SNL callback. Absolutely. And this was a situation where he was turning science on its head. He, mm -hmm. he published four papers that were just amazing related to their subatomic theories. And one of them was related to quantum uh, theory. And not only was he talking about quantum theory, one was related to the special theory of relativity. One was an offshoot of that that was related to the famous formula E equals MC squared. Mm. And there was something to it with this guy. He knew what he was talking about as a theoretical physicist. He didn't go and prove all of this. He left this to the experimental physicists. He said, look, here's my theory. Here's how I can prove it um, mathematically. But experimentally, I leave that to the experimental physicists. The reason I bring up the special theory of relativity and his uh, connection with his wife is that she actually has been thought by some to have contributed to Einstein's special theory of relativity. And why do mm -hmm. they think that? In examining some of his papers that have been translated from German into English, there are some references to Einstein and his and working on a relative theory of motion. And you oh. take a look at these references and is that special theory of relativity? And there has been a raging debate since these uh, papers of Einstein's were translated to try to understand, was his wife Maleva really a part of this or not? Mm. Now, a lot of scientists say, oh, that really isn't. Why isn't it? It's because she never claimed any uh, authorship to any of this. He published his papers alone. She didn't come out there and say, hey, it wasn't just Einstein. It was me as well. Mm. And people say that in and of itself says that she wasn't uh, a part of this. Now, who knows if she was or not? We really yeah. don't know to this day. But the reason I bring that up is Einstein had a very smart wife. Yeah. Yet he chose to move on to, uh, as you say, he was a womanizer. He ended up uh, leaving his, his first wife for his cousin, his second cousin. He well, was, uh, wasn't that smart. Was she hot? Maybe he was. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> Take a picture of her and you have to judge for yourself. Okay. But the, the idea is she wasn't a genius, that's for sure. Oh, and oh. so he ended up moving on. And this was a situation that was so different from Marie and Pierre Curie, who 
had a, a relationship that really was a partnership in every way. Hmm. And when Marie's husband died, she really wanted to recreate this with Paul Langvin, who was an up and coming uh, scientist in his own France. And as I said uh, previously, a protege of Pierre's. And she was very hopeful that she could move past the devastating death of her husband. And then that was all torn apart because obviously the French press would have none of it. How could a, a woman be a homewrecker like this and, uh, and go against French family and cultural values? Mm. And it was a very difficult time for her in 1911. The highs of winning a second Nobel Prize and the lows of being this, her, having her reputation besmirched by the French press and much of the French population who uh, went along with it. Yeah. It's good to know that marriage wasn't working 110 years ago either. So <laughs> note to self. Yeah. The, the, I actually have some theories on where Albert Einstein got that uh, please, energy please motion thing. I do. He got it from his wife who wanted him to do the laundry or the dishes and uh, a body in motion stays in motion when he's running away from his wife who's chasing him with the, one of those, uh, those roller things, the, the Baker Absolutely. things. Absolutely, yes. That's what that is. You've said it first here, Chris, and, and I buy in. Okay? I buy in. Okay, to, right. to a certain extent. This is book three but, or two. Yeah, really. Right. right. Yeah. But I, I think that the situation that's a funny one here is there's an awful lot of truth to Einstein representation of physics that goes beyond just his own thinking, although he was a, a really the pinnacle of genius. There were others who shared in his experimentation or theoretical experimentation by trying to help him with the mathematical proofs of this. So he had good friends who were helping him uh, along with, with that. He also had friends who he could bounce some of these ideas off of. Rather than Maleva and his wife bouncing a rolling pin off his head, he was bouncing his ideas off of some very close friends of his who he stayed close with for most of his life, but he really didn't have a wide circle of people who understood him because his brilliance was at such a high level. One of the few people who did was Marie Curie. And so that's where the friendship developed because they were high level elite thinkers about things that other people just couldn't wrap their heads around. He was an individual who in Marie saw someone who could understand him from that theoretical physics mm -hmm. and mathematics standpoint. Mm -hmm. They could sit around and talk about relativity and everybody's <laughs> just sitting around going, but what's going on over there? I'll tell you what, Einstein often said that there were only a handful of people in the world who understood relativity. When he came over to the U.S. on his first trip to the U.S. a hundred years ago in May of this year, he came over on a ship with a guy named Chaim Weizmann, who was the head of the World Zionist Organization. And Weissman was Einstein's popularity to basically mm -hmm. say, hey, let's raise some funds for a Hebrew university that's going to be in Jerusalem. Okay, mm -hmm. Einstein went along with it. Einstein wasn't a religious Jew, but uh, he did want to help his fellow um, brethren. And so he came over and on the boat over, Einstein basically tried to explain the general theory of relativity to Weizmann. And People asked Weizmann when the boat landed, hey, do you understand this general theory of relativity? And he said, I don't really understand it, but in the boat trip over, at least I felt, and Einstein's trying to explain to me what was going on, at least I felt he understood it. At least yeah. there was someone who understood the general theory of relativity. 
Yep. The it's when you have only a handful of people in the world that understand what you're talking about. It is hard to get laid. What else can we tease out on this book to uh, entice people to want to uh, buy it? What sort of sure, teasers sure. might we share? So, so here's some. Um, here's Marie Curie. She comes back from the the conference of 1911, and she's being inundated by incoming missiles from the French press. And what transpires within the course of three weeks? Three duels take place. In fact. Five duels were to take place related to defending Marie Curie's honor. One of them actually included Paul Langvin. Paul Langvin issued a, a, a dual charge to one of the uh, editors of a conservative newspaper that was just tearing Marie Curie's reputation to tatters. And he said, meet me on the velodrome track out in uh, the outskirts of Paris, and we're going to have a pistol duel. One shot, 25 meters. Let's see what happens here. They go out to the, the velodrome track. The second for Langvin is the one who's counting down the paces as these guys pace off their 25 meters. And he rushes the count and Langvin is turned around. His, his pistol's aimed at the editor of the conservative paper before the editor even has his gun up. Is there going to be a, a killing here? No, they both decide they respect the other too much and they're not going to shoot. So the seconds take the guns shoot him in the air and say, this duel is done. Here you have a duel in the 20th century over a woman's honor, and you, you actually have five of them. You're talking about a, a situation that's interesting here related to how did the French cope with the chivalrous nature of what was going on and besmirching of someone's reputation. Duels weren't that uncommon. Yeah. So, uh, you know, that, that's one situation that's an interesting one. Uh, Maybe we should bring that back. That might be interesting you know, they, to bring back. They could, but I don't know if that's going to work or not. I, I think the, the duel itself, just the challenge was interesting. Here's yeah. a scientist who's saying, okay, let's uh, shoot at each other. I don't know many of those. I, I don't know if Einstein would do that. There's no end to what millions of men uh, have done over the eons for the love of a woman. Uh, Absolutely. It's, it's insane. Uh, we get no credit for it either. So anyway, wonderful stuff. Anything more you want to tease out before we go out? Oh, absolutely. When you take a look at, at Marie Curie and you try to understand her relationship with, with Einstein, it was a relationship that was really on a, a very high technical level, right? Physics, that type of thing. They were two people unlike any others. The two most brilliant people probably in the world at that time or close to it. And when Marie Curie died, Einstein gave a, an epitaph a year later at a ceremony on Marie Curie's behalf that basically talked about uh, her shining virtue and her ability to uh, think as no woman had. And it's interesting that they had such a cl close relationship, yet Marie Curie had a daughter who won a Nobel Prize in 1935, wow. and her name was uh, Irene. And Einstein was... Um, cordial, but not really close. There wasn't a relationship that Einstein carried on beyond his relationship with Marie to extend through the, the generations over the next 20, 25 years that, that Einstein was alive. Yet the progeny of the Curies was just tremendously involved in science. Irene and her husband won this uh, Nobel Prize in Physics in 1935. From there, the Nobel Prize was actually awarded 
to Ren's sister for something completely different. His sister was married to an individual in the 1950s who was the head of UNICEF, the United Nations uh, efforts related to improving the lives of children. And he and Ren's sister, Eve, received the Nobel Prize uh, Peace Prize for their efforts there. So when you talk about receiving Nobel Prizes, the Curie family actually had five that they received. There was Pierre and Marie in, in 1903. There was uh, Irene in 1935. There was Marie again in 1911 for chemistry. And there was Eve receiving a Nobel Prize in, in the late, early 1960s, I believe it was. So you talk about a family that has a, a Nobel Prize lineage, can't find one that's even close to the Curies. And I don't think, I don't think you ever will. You talk about Einstein's situation. He lived a lonely life in his last 25 years. His second wife passed away in 1935. He came to the U.S. He hung out in the Princeton uh, area. He didn't teach at Princeton, but in, in Princeton, there was the Advanced Institute of Research, and he, he basically uh, spent his time there. His sons, one actually became schizophrenic and was institutionalized. The other became a, a well-known university hydraulics professor. And uh, he never really spent much time with, with, with the one who became a professor and the one who was institutionalized. He didn't see after he left Europe for the States. So he lived a rather lonely existence. Mm -hmm. But for a brief time, he and Marie were really, in 1911, the leaders of this meeting that changed the course of science because of their uh, understanding of quantum mechanics, quantum theory, and how it collided with Newtonian physics to move physics off in another direction. That other, the other aspect of 1911 was it shot Einstein's career path to the stratosphere. He was an obscure professor in Prague when he went to this meeting. By the time he left this meeting, he was being considered by a number of different people for professorships in Zurich, in Berlin. He ended up going to Berlin in 1914, developing his finishing touches on the theory of general relativity. And that really was exposed to the public in 1919. Uh, and he became the rock star of the scientific world. There was no one who could hold a candle to him. And that all started that trajectory for him in 1911. There you go. And you captured it all in your book. Give us your plug so that people can uh, find out more about you and follow you on the interwebs. Well, well, the key is not so much the LinkedIn, LinkedIn connection, but really I'm um, going to Amazon, getting the, uh, the ebook, getting the uh, print book, the audio book on Audible, all available. The idea that here you have a period in time when the most learned scientific individuals, 24 of them, got together and discussed how to move forward in the scientific world and juxtapose the quantum theory versus Newtonian physics was just a time that is like no other. And this book isn't about the science as much as about the people, about Marie Curie, about Pierre, about Einstein and his wife, about Paul Langvin, about Ernest Salve, who's the sponsor of the conferences. And it's all out there. So I encourage people not only to, to get the book or the, uh, the audio book or ebook, but to leave a review once you take a look at it. And I'm sure you're going to find it a tremendously interesting story related to these people who weren't just geniuses. They were people like you and me. 
Definitely, definitely. Thank you for being on the show. We really appreciate Jeffrey. Thanks for coming and spending some time with us and enlightening us on. Well, it's great. It's great book. to be here. I, I appreciate you. it, and uh, thanks for having me. There you guys go. Uh, so pick it up. It's just barely off the presses. July 6, 2021, The Soul of Genius, Marie Curie, Albert Einstein, and The Meeting That Changed the Course of Science. To our audience, uh, thank you for uh, tuning in. Be sure to go to YouTube.com, Fortress Chris Voss, hit that bell notification button. Go to all our groups on uh, Goodreads.com, Fortress Chris Voss, Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, all those different places. And we certainly appreciate your further show, your friends, neighbors, relatives. Thanks for tuning in. Be good to each other. And we'll see you guys next time.